Welcome to Asbury Pod with Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. This week, we welcome two of Asbury Park's most recognizable business leaders, Russell Lewis of Watermark and Bianca Freda of Interwoven. Russell and Bianca tell us how the COVID-19 crisis has affected their business, how they've adapted to operate in quarantine, and what the pathway to reopening might be or should be. Welcome, Russell and Bianca. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Everybody and all of our Asbury Pod listeners, it's May 28th. Yeah, both of you. And day, <laughs> I think like 78 or 79. Uh, wow. I don't know what day it is either. And I also, Russell, I don't know if you're having this problem. But do you keep putting your garbage out on the wrong day? Because I do. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, there's there's no continuity between what day it is and what day it's not. Yeah. So. I've noticed that they're picking it up on the wrong day. Like it, it seems like, like it took them. I think everyone's everyone's recycling is like two or three times because we're getting everything from Amazon, right? So I put out like 40 boxes and it took them two days to get the recycling last week because I think everyone's volume. Uh, oh, like, a- absolutely. Yeah, I have a staging area now, which I built during quarantine. <laughs> I have a, a trash and recycling staging area now in, you know, in the side of my house before it goes to the back alley. And well, I can't tell you how many times I'm outside being like, is it... Wednesday or <laughs> Anyway, it is Thursday mm-hmm. and we are here with Bianca and Russell. And, and one of the reasons, so Joe and I have been doing, we used to do, the whole purpose of this podcast was to try to get millennials up to speed on government. And then as of today, Joe, we actually have two millennial listeners, Hannah Walker, mm-hmm. Joe Grillo's uh, partner. She mm-hmm. is a millennial and she listens. Anyway, those are the only two millennials that we have. The entire reason we put this podcast. And, and other than the one episode That's that right. we had to cancel for drunkenness, we never really talked about millennials and politics anyway. So <laughs> no, we didn't. Also, Amy, we have to tell the people who are listening. You said Bianca and Russell, but nobody knows. Like, not everyone knows who they are. So, do you have the full name? Uh, I take offense <laughs> to that, Joe, and I'm sure Russell that, does also. No. That's true. I actually, you guys are much more famous than both of us. So it should oh, be. oh, are you kidding? One of them's more famous than you and I combined. Yeah. Um, so the reason I'm going to have you both introduce yourselves a little bit, this is the first time we've had two, you are our first two guests at the same time. Like we've only, no, we did the ladies from, we did the ladies from Springfield Avenue or Summerfield Avenue. Oh, oh, we did Springfield Springfield Avenue. We also did the the women's convention, but we didn't Mm -hmm. name it because we had to cancel the event. Um, okay. Well, you're third uh, on the amount. Usually we just have one people. You're very special people is what I'm trying to say. 
<laughs> and the reason that we wanted to have you on is because we're doing these COVID once a week podcasts with Shared Universe and Ming, who, who are great. And so last week we had um, Lieutenant Governor Kim Guadano, who was amazing, who I have such a crush on. And then prior to that, we had, well, we've had a whole series of shows of people like Vin and Garrett Guyberson and Kathy Kelly from Dinner Table. So, Pastor so, Van Zandt. Pastor Van Zandt, who, who's actually a riveting one. He, he was really, really good. Indeed. Kelly Irving, who works in a hospital. Anyway, the reason um, I was so interested and glad that you both said yes is because I think everybody's worried about restaurants and retail. I think everybody's, you know, concerned about how we help bring back, you know, and so we, we wanted to have, you know, a super, you know, interesting and, and discussion with you guys about that. So I'm going to let both of you introduce yourselves. Bianca, you have to lean in because I'm having a little trouble hearing you as well. Okay. Maybe talk about who you are, what your store is, and what brought you to Asbury Park. Sure. How's the sound? Better. Okay. Um, so my name is Bianca Frida and I own Interwoven. Interwoven has um, been in existence for five and a half years and it is a men's and women's apparel and accessory store on Cookman Ave in Asbury Park. Um, what led me to Asbury Park is that um, my husband and I were living in Somerset when we got married and we were living there because my parents lived there and it was just sort of the next move to make to buy the house next door to them. Next door to them. Um, there's usually comments about everyone loves Raymond when I say that because we live next door. But um, we just found ourselves coming down to Asbury Park every day and my husband grew up in Neptune. So this is where we would come. And then we started meeting friends down here and this started to feel more like home to us than our actual home. So we decided even though we were both working up in that area that we would prefer to love where we live rather than just live somewhere for convenience. So we decided to move down to Asbury Park. Then when I moved down here, I was still working up there and I wanted to always open my own business, but I wasn't, um, when I moved down here, I wasn't sure where people shopped. I was kind of perplexed. Like there was um, a bunch of novelty sort of stores, but there wasn't somewhere that I felt I could shop to just get like an outfit for work or just an outfit for the weekend. So that's how Interwoven came about. And that's how we- And, how long, and how long has Interwoven been in existence? For five and a half years. Five and a half years, wow. Yeah. And Russell, can you, can you give us your story? Um, sure, happy to. Um, my name is Russell Lewis, and I'm the owner and operator of Watermark on the historic Asbury Park boardwalk. Um, <clears throat> I, I randomly came to Asbury Park about 17 years ago. I was working in the entertainment industry in New York, living there full time. And a band that I was working with played at the Brighton Brighton Bar in Long Branch. So I came down with them and had a couple of hours and I drove around and I wandered into Asbury Park. I had no idea what it was, but I was sort of taken by all the architecture. And this is, I don't know, yeah, 17 years ago. So Tilly was still up and Palace and 
all that stuff. Um, and then <clears throat> about a year later, I read an article in the New York Times about all the gay community buying up all the homes down here. Um, and my partner and I rode down one weekend and very randomly, without any knowledge or history, we bought one of those falling down homes and spent about a year and a half redoing it. And in that year and a half, um, got adopted into the amazing gay community that was here. And I quickly turned my focus from working in the entertainment industry in New York to how can I figure out how to live at my summer home year round and work here. And um, that's how the idea of Watermark was born. I really, I was 40 years old. I'd been full-time in New York for 10 years and I was looking for something else. And <clears throat> I really liked the lifestyle down here and the, the, uh, the entertainment history kind of swept me in. And I worked on Road Trip, which was a huge inspiration for me to do something more uh, on a consistent level. So working on Road Trip for, I think, two or three years um, in 2004, five and six. Um, Russell, what is what Road Trip for? Road Trip was a, a weekend long um, it's a marketing effort from the gay community in Asbury Park to invite friends from neighboring urban towns of Pennsylvania and Philly and New York. And we would fill our home, fill our extra bedrooms with friends in an effort to show them the town, to market the town and to hopefully encourage them to buy homes. So it was really a sort of uh, early uh, gay homeowner community marketing movement that um, <clears throat> was very successful and it brought a lot of people down here and it made me um, realize and uh, that the the strength of the gay community down here and the diversity of it and all the magnificent and wonderful things so it was really the gay community that made me um, want to be down here full full time so I had to figure out how to make that happen so born out of that um, was Watermark. And um, I've been in business now. I'm in my 12th year of business at Watermark. I opened uh, in the fall of 2008. So that's, so Asbury Park kind of sucked me in and out of my wanting to be here full time, I created a business to, you know, warrant living at my beach house year round. I think in both in both cases, you you have both built businesses that are sort of Asbury Park iconic. In other words, you both have presences, a business presence that is sort of famous outside of Asbury, right? There's a lot of great local businesses here, but both of you have uh, destination businesses, you know, uh, which I think is an interesting um, achievement given all the competition um, um, down here. And I don't have anything extraordinary important to say after that, but I just that, you know, as I was sitting here, I think both of you have these businesses that extend beyond the borders of Asbury or your destination. I mean, Bianca's Instagram feed is a, is a TV show. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, you do kill it on, you know, you kill it on social media, Bianca, right? You're like, I take notes because I, I need, I need to kill it as much as Bianca's killing it. And Watermark was, you know, was where we would take all of our guests, you know, um, you know, it's like when, we, when they came down to visit, it's like, well, let's go. And we're going to walk in the boardwalk. This is a great place, right? It was like the destination for everyone in, in town. So um, so when we we're talking about Asbury Park business, you're both very, uh, you know, um, nice public bases of the, of, of, of the business community down here. And I have to tell this one story, which I've told before. So I go to Christina Banyan, who is another business owner in town. She owns Pucker and Tony's on the boardwalk. She's having her 40th birthday party at Watermark and Heather and I get very, very drunk because your drinks 
don't taste like they have a lot of alcohol in them and that, you know, they probably do, but I had like six <laughs> margaritas or something at her 40th birthday. I'm meeting, I kid you not, this is how this podcast came about a year ago. <laughs> I'm meeting Joe, sure. we're meeting Joe and Rita at the showroom to see a movie, like the Emily Dickinson, I'm sure it was a lesbian movie. No, it was the Emily Dickinson movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. So, um, so we go to the party at Watermark. Heather and I have way too many cocktails, but we don't want to cancel plans with Joe and Rita. So we go to the movie. I sleep through the entire movie. <laughs> then we go to Taka to try to sober up. Where drink, I yeah. say, I think I'm the one who says, I'm like, we should do a podcast. This is your idea. Well, yeah, this is, you said, I want to do a podcast. And I said, I have a microphone I can help. And then when we sat down to do the first episode, you elevated me to co-host. You're like, I'm yes. here with my co-host, Joe. And I was like, I was just like Ming. I was in the background. And so that, you know, I'm, I'm Yeah, that, a year ago, that is legit <laughs> how this podcast came about. And, and we, are, we are, you know, exceeding expectations with our seven or eight listeners at this point. Many <laughs> family and friends of ours. Well, I, lo I love that story. <clears throat> You've never told me that. I think that's yeah. amazing. Um, yeah, my drinks are strong. I trained in the, you know, the best bars in New York. So um, your drinks are probably fine. It's six <laughs> that are a problem. Well, my question is who falls asleep on six margaritas? That's 12 <laughs> ounces of tequila. I, I don't know anyone who falls asleep on 12 ounces of tequila. Well, I think I also mixed in martinis. Oh, well, I can't help yeah, you. Yeah, I think I mixed in martinis and margaritas. Anyway. And I, yeah, I, I can verify that Amy did sleep through the whole movie. Those, those chairs <laughs> in, in the showroom are very comfortable. <laughs> I, we had to go see it again because we wanted to support you know, the showroom in the movie. Um, anyway, that is how Asbury Pod came into existence. So kudos to you, Russell, for that. Well, my pleasure. Happy to be part of the, the donor DNA that made this. So I'm going to get a little bit right to, you know, I asked some friends what kind of questions that we should, they wanted to, to talk to you about. And I want to, I want to wait a little bit before we, we get to how to help because you both know Asbury Park and it's a community that always wants to help and always wants to figure out how to help. But can you talk about like a little bit about this pandemic, what you think about it, how it's affecting your business? I mean, Bianca, I think retail is just getting so fucked, right? So fucked across the board. Um, but keeping my opinion out of it, since both of you are, you know, owners of businesses, can you talk a little bit about um, the effects it's having on you, your business, your staff? Bianca, why don't you start off? Sure. So, um, I mean, I feel like every webinar and podcast that I've listened to, it was sort of like before this pandemic happened, retail was struggling and we had to sort of, um, we had to come up with new ways to market just before this all happened um, and ways to stay connected to our customers and compete with the big guys. Um, so there was that sort of always in, in the background. And then when this happened, um, it was just... Uh, I didn't know what to do, honestly. Um, my, my, um, I never thought it would last this long. So the first thing we did was we um, worked really hard to get everything that we had in stock up on our web shop, which was existing before, but we gave it like an ounce of time. And now it's getting all of our efforts um, put forth to that. Um, so that's what we did immediately. Um, 
then I had to adjust how everyone could work. And we had to go from being able to work in a building together and service customers to being able to work at home. Um, unfortunately, I'm in that bracket of business owners that um, the loans don't really apply for my size business. So I'm five, um, under five employees is where it's really tough. And when you have an owner operated business, it's more difficult because um, of payroll and stuff like that. So I didn't get the PPE loan and um, I got a few little grants. Um, right now, the biggest struggle is um, with what we sell, it's a lot of it is very challenging to sell online in terms of clothing. Uh, we don't have the technology that other companies have where they're able to photograph um, images and people can walk around and they make these images um, kind of like a 3D effect on it. Um, we're operating with a very small team and just um, doing what we can for our online business, but it seems like our um, market wants to see us on Instagram and what we put on Instagram seems to sell. So that's why you've seen a lot more increase of our faces and presence on Instagram because that's how we're operating now. Um, we are now able to be in the store, but we're only allowed to do curbside pickup. So um, we've adjusted to that. But there's been a lot of concerns and issues with that. Customers um, there's this like fear with everyone. I'm not sure where that's coming from. Like they, they're not quite sure what to do when they pull up and we've created signage for that. Um, yeah. So th that's where we're, I, I think I sort of lost my train of thought, but I don't know if I answered your question or not, or I just got off on a tangent. I'm not sure. Abe. Well, I, I think your business in particular, right? Retail is, is getting blown out. So, so the big retail chains, like the malls are shut down. So in a weird right. way, you have a niche that allows you to continue to exist in a way with your own storefront and people can come up and right. um, purchase stuff. But you also have been very um, adaptive and sort of jumping to, you know, a really engaging, you know, social media presence, right? So right. I don't purchase the clothes that you, right? you know, of course they don't fit me. Right? That's really, that's the real problem. Yeah, but um, you know, but it's an engaging th yeah, um, thing to watch, and so you know that's my running joke is that it should be a TV show, but I'm not actually kidding. So you've actually you know, in terms of the the uh, mar adjusting to market conditions, this is an excellent example of a business adjusting on the fly, but other businesses when others can't. Um, so as difficult as it is, like you're really um, killing it as best as you can, and, and you know, and we'll get to it later, like what what can make it better, but it's hard to imagine a business doing a better job under these conditions than, than what you've that. done. It's and um, one other thing I think that's been kind of interesting. And we had Pastor Van Zan on and we had um, Beatrice runs, um, ran what was formerly Hispanic affairs. The, the, to talk about racial disparities that this pandemic has clearly brought out. I mean, you'd have to be insane not to see them, but for me, your business like I know we're all ordering from Amazon cause that's all we have. But as somebody who's trying to f figure out ways to not order from Amazon and to order in or go do or order something and go pick it up myself or not use the food apps because of the percentage they're taking. Like this pandemic has illustrated to me one, what a horrific company Amazon is, but at least to its workers. Um, but also how do I better support, you know, the smaller, 
mom and pop businesses. Like I go to Asbury Roastery to pick up coffee and not right. order it on Grubhub or whatever it is. So, right. so that's kind of hopefully after all of this is said and done, there's a more thoughtful approach on how we are buying retail and how we're, we are supporting local and, and smaller businesses, at least for me, it's been. I, yeah, I think there's going to be a huge change um, when we are able to reopen. I, I actually feel worse um, for the big guys because I feel like there is going to be, um, it's like, you know, sh shopping small is, I just heard it today, is like the new black. Like you kind of get that warm, fuzzy feeling from it. You feel good that you're doing it. Um, it's, the, it's the malls and those um, department stores. I'm not sure because we are small enough where we know our customers um, we know what events they were attending. We know their birthdays and things like that. So we can actually like personal shop for them in a way. And when something arrives, we give them a call. Um, you know, it's harder for big business to do that. Um, we it's impossible. And I, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but, you know, I think there's, a, there's many things about Watermark and Interwoven that you could say are polar opposites. But one of the things that I think is – the same in what sets you apart in retail is the mall is all corporate. Those are all hired employees and they are 10,000 miles and 10,000 feet away and $10,000, you know, a day away from their bosses. Your owner operated business. I'm an owner operated business and that's the difference. And I think for people who are going to survive in retail, you obviously have to have an online presence, which you do, but you're there, you're in your shop, you are your shop. You're just, you know, and that's the difference. And I, I hope that that's what sets you apart and will continue to, to set you apart and hopefully Asbury Park apart is that you, your shop is more than just retail. It has an identity to it. You're buying stuff, you're curating, and it is, a, it is an extension of you. And that's the reason why you're still in business. I feel like also you have said this before, Russell, that you created Watermark and it's, it's sort of like a theatrical thing you have going on. It's not just somewhere to go and get drinks. Like Interwoven is not just a website to go and shop at. Um, it's this appealing to all the senses um, is what we were doing before our doors shut. And we built that reputation already, luckily beforehand, and people know that, that when they order something from us, it's going to look good. It's going to feel good. It's going to be quality. Um, it's going to smell good um, yeah. because we were appealing to all the senses, just like Watermark. It's not just, you can go get liquor anywhere, but you have that experience built in. Um, it's all customer service, right, individualized right. customer service right. from, from someone who has created an identity and understands how to serve their public in a unique way with their own language and you get set apart. We are, we're not anti-corporate, but we're counter-corporate. Sure. And I think for towns like Asbury Park, as we struggle with our, our economic identity on the other side of this, which we're all struggling with, um, are we going to be able to retain our cool, edgy, intimate, and individualized retail and, 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 and food and beverage here? Um, I think that's the, that's the you know, and for, for large and small, for big businesses and small businesses, I mean, are we going to be able to survive this and get on the other side of it? And it's scary. It's scary for everyone. Yeah, Russell, if you could, let's take a minute and talk about the other side of things. So, there, you know, as bad as things are for retail, for event spaces and food and beverage, it's, it's even worse, right? Because 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, re- retail, they, they follow similar paths. You know, food and beverage, you can have anything from, you know, a, an ice cream shop to a place like Watermark that is a restaurant and a private event space and a nightclub. And, you know, so I built Watermark to have many different personalities and to be scalable and flexible. I was in, I was in a similar business to Bianca before I opened Watermark. Um, I had a, a little cupcake. Um, store that I opened uh, first in Ocean Grove called the Baker Boys. And I brought that over to um, the Asbury Boardwalk as well. I remember the Baker Boys. Yeah. The Baker Boys was my, was my first (laughs) business in Asbury in on the Jersey shore, I should say. And I got my ass handed to me and I lost a fuckload of money. And out of wait when you say you got your ass because i remember the baker boys in ocean grove i i only remember it for a minute in asbury park but i remember it in ocean grove for quite some time so what do you mean you got your ass handed to you well we spent way too we overcapitalized we spent way too much money i i hired payroll that couldn't withstand the winter i was coming from new york i was looking at i'm going to emulate billy's bakery and i'm going to create this you know great year round Thing. And I didn't really understand, certainly in 2007, 2008, what winters really meant economically to people, uh, especially in Ocean Grove and on the boardwalk. So I created a, an annual business that could only survive in the summer. And I'm not, I don't think seasonally. I, I can only imagine Bianca doesn't think seasonally. We change things out. But I, I can't think about a business that I open for six months. Uh, on the boardwalk or anywhere. So um, I got my ass handed to me because we lost a ton of money with that business. A ton of money. It was not, it was not economically sound the way I built it, the way I structured it, the way I capitalized it, the way I, you know, everything. It, it could have worked in New York. It did not work on the Jersey Shore because I didn't do my homework. And I didn't understand that in New Jersey, you needed to have a commercial bakery that had a bunch of commercial clients that had a facility and you were off, you know, somewhere and you had trucks. And then out of that, you created retail. So you had a, a, a business that supported that. I went in the front door like retail. I'm a, you know, front of house guy. So I created a, a business that had no sort of, you know, backup plan. And I lost my partner and I lost everything with the Baker boys. We lost hundreds of thousands of dollars with that business. But without the Baker Boys, Gary Matola would not have given me the opportunity to do Watermark. And without the experience of losing that business, all the really, really hard lessons, and I created Watermark as in the exact opposite way of the Baker Boys. So I had this, now I have this tiny little kitchen and it's not food based and it's more event and space and alcohol. So I, you know, I, I don't only sympathize with Bianca, I empathize with her. I used to be in retail. It's really, really hard. My product, cupcakes, you have 30, maybe, you know, 30 hours to sell one and then it's trash. So my product, I used to say that I was making little time bombs and if I didn't sell them, then I just had to get rid of them. And that's one of the hardest, you know, bakeries are one of the hardest businesses to make work as, ind- as an independent bakery that has its, you know, just one shop baking on premise. It's virtually impossible unless you're in a place like New York. Well, one thing I want to mention is, and Russell, you and I spoke, I think um, throughout the weekend where the city decided to shut 
shit down. So about a week before the governor, give or take. And I might be slightly wrong on those dates, but I'm going to be in the ballpark. So um, the pandemic is kind of flowing down. Friday night, Garrett Guyberson, me, Eileen, we're all riding around. Everybody's really social distancing. The weather wasn't great. Um, So I'm going to say this is around March 14th. And, and bear with me, I, I may be on or off a week or two, um, because all the days... Friday, that, no, that's the weekend. No, that's the weekend. That's the weekend. Friday the 13th, weekend, Saturday, right? Saturday so, the 14th. Yeah, right. So we, so Friday night, not a lot of people are out. We're feeling like, okay, people are taking this pandemic seriously. Wonderful Saturday night. And I, and I talk about this, although I never name you, Russell. <laughs> We're one of many. Heather and I go to Jimmy's to eat early. Um, and, and, you know, maybe not our best decision. It's packed. And we're like, holy shit, it's, <laughs> it's packed. And then not only was it packed at Jimmy's, by that point, the sports games had stopped, but they were replaying old games. So if you didn't know, you thought people were sitting and watching basketball games. If you watched the TV at Jimmy's restaurant on Asbury Ave, because they didn't have anything on that was current. They were playing, you know, game, basketball games from a few months ago. So I remember coming home, talking to you, we're neighbors, and then you telling me Saturday night, nobody was social distancing in Watermark, and and several other restaurants um, and bars were texting me pictures Saturday night of people not, which was the opposite of Friday, because Friday was pretty dead, at least in the few places that we had had checked out, Bond and Capital Line, a couple places. And then Sunday, we woke up, we all, the council all got up early. And we're like, we're going to just shut shit the fuck down. And, um, and I remember you calling me and saying, before I even, I think, said to you, we're going to shut shit down, you said, I'm going to shut my shit down. Yeah, I did that Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think I had the uh, awareness, because I had spent a lot of time um, in New York that previous week, where Andrew obviously works Monday through Friday, and we, we still have an apartment up in New York. And New York was getting the brunt of it, sort of on, um, Andrew's birthday was on uh, that Tuesday, the 10th, um, and I was up in New York. Um, but there was already rumbling starting in New York that week. Thursday night, the 12th, Andrew's office of you know, 50 people. He works in corporate. They shut everyone down, sent everyone home. So I had, I had that experience. So I was already thinking on Thursday, the 12th about shutting things down. I had a meeting with my staff on Friday, the fourth, the Friday, the 13th. Um, and I said, I'm going to leave this up to you guys. I am not going to make anyone work. If I have a, if I have a full team tonight, I'll open the doors and I'll do it for you. But just know that we're, this is coming. We're going to be shutting down. I know I kind of laid, I laid out what I felt. My staff said that they wanted to work. So we worked Friday night and you're right. It was, it was pretty slow on Friday and I was really relieved with that. And I kind of thought the writing was on the wall. I did the, I thought I would just go through the end of the week, Saturdays, you know, the night I proposed the same thing to my staff on Saturday and they all wanted to work. And I was there. I was there on that Saturday night and we had a line out the door. I was filled to capacity for at least two hours from 1030 to 1230, which is really the witching hour for Watermark. And there were hundreds of people inside and they were all over each other. And my bartenders were serving them drinks 
you know, having to go up, you know, three inches from them to get their order. And I sat there on the side of my bar and I felt guilty and I felt I was putting, mainly I was really thinking about my staff, these people that I've worked with now for a decade, people that I love, people that I consider family. And I felt horrible that I had agreed to <laughs> let them put themselves in a potential harm because they wanted to just eat out that last Saturday night. Um, and I, I slept horribly that Saturday night and I woke up on that Sunday morning to, in, to absolve my guilt. I made an announcement that I was shutting things down until it was safe for customers and my staff. And I didn't really ask any of my partners uh, advice on this. I just, I, it was an instinct. I had to do it to, uh, to show my staff that I cared for them. That's really what I wanted to do. Uh, and I shut everything down. And I went on social media, which I don't use that often, which is another interesting sort of um, comparison to me and you, Bianca, because I am, I run Watermark like a speakeasy. I don't advertise. <laughs> I don't answer my phone. I'm horrible. I'm, I run my own uh, social media and I, you know, I have a, a handful of posts. So I, um, but I did, I went out on social media very strongly that morning and I felt like... I wanted to take a leadership position and I wanted to show my colleagues that I consider all the other restaurateurs and business owners in town. I wanted to show them what I was doing and the reasons why I was doing it. And I do not regret that decision at all. Obviously uh, Murphy shut everything down within 72 hours after that. Yeah. So I think the same as you Russell Friday night, you know, on this, uh, all, the, all of us on the council and John and we're like, okay, people are like taking this shit seriously. I mean, you can go out to dinner. That was before we knew how, how bad it was, but you can go out to dinner and you can, you can take this shit seriously. And then when we, and then Saturday it was like, what the fuck happened people? What the fuck just happened? <laughs> that every motherfucker is out. <laughs> Social distancing. No one's doing anything. And also like for us, we were, there was no other town in Monmouth County that was shutting shit down. So we're there Sunday morning trying to figure out emergency executive orders to, sh I, we didn't shut shit down. We put a curfew on it, an eight or nine o'clock, I forget, nine or 10, eight, nine or 10 o'clock curfew. I forget what we did because nobody in Monmouth County was doing anything. And we were like, well, it seems like it's the worst between your witching hour, which is 10 so for us it seemed the worst at 10 because you that by that point had a few drinks and you were completely not being mindful of social distancing or 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 what was happening but it, it, it was just if you went by friday and saturday night i woke up saturday thinking okay i think we're in really really good shape and i woke up sunday thinking if th this virus spread through asbury saturday night saturday night is the night that it spread through asbury so that was, I digress on that one, sorry. <laughs> so you shut stuff down um, that Sunday, Bianca. You were shut down that Monday. I did. I, um, I, my husband has been following this virus since it was in China. So, um, or wherever it happened to originate, I guess that's even up for interpretation now. Um, it started to feel odd to me the week before. I could tell people it was the main thing people were talking about when they came in the shop, so whatever the Monday was before. And then as the week went on, it just it got really weird. Um, 
Tony was having us social distance anyway, my husband. And um, Saturday, I was that Saturday is when he made the announcement, I think that we knew it was going to come the next day. Uh, the governor made the announcement. And then Saturday was our last day we were open. So I think that was the 14th or the 15th. And then ever since then, we went to being um, 100% online and we were working from home. And then whenever we were allowed to do curbside, we did it. So yeah, we- And and here's what's irritating for me, Bianca, and I know, and I'm sure way more irritating for you since you own the business, is the the um, the executive orders that have come down. And, and, and for restaurants too, I, and I mean this for Russell as well, like for me, I'm, I'm absolutely puzzled why only a week ago you were allowed to do curbside retail when, when restaurants were allowed to do curbside food weeks ago, right? If not months ago. Right. That, that was certainly like puzzling for me as, a, as an elected official and trying to, again, trying to keep everybody in the best possible light and understand the logic as it's happening. And then um, for, for me, also Russell is like, and, I, and I'd be curious on both your thoughts on, on these points, like the out, outside dining, that seems to be taking a really long time, even though everything I'm reading seems to suggest that you can, you can sit outside and dine um, spaced apart in a, what appears to be relatively safe way. So anyway, just like Bianca, you want to talk a little bit about what felt like a little bit of a double standard with the curbside pickups for retail and restaurants? It definitely did feel that way. I guess the what I the way I guess it didn't bother me as much was I was thinking food was more it, it's obviously more essential than what I'm right. offering. So that's how I justified that decision. But then as the for the first two weeks it seemed okay. And then, um, you know, you would see pictures of people at Walmart and it's not like they had sectioned off just their food. So you could go to Walmart and shop all their clothing and people would be touching everything and their grooming products. So that's when it started to get super frustrating, especially that we weren't getting any um, stimulus checks or benefits from the government. So these businesses, these larger businesses were still able to open and sell non-essential things. And we, um, I think it was two weeks ago we were allowed to open curbside. Right. Um, which is, I can't even imagine being a mom and pop shop, like an older person owning a mom and pop shop that doesn't have access to the internet and social media and things like that. How were they expected to survive? It's, it's horrible, but on the, on the other side... I can't imagine having someone suffer and you know if a family member got sick with this disease and you weren't able to be with them in the hospital so um that was that's those are the two things that made me not want to scream I guess and um at the rest you know there's I don't know I guess that's that's what it is I, I wanted to follow the rules I didn't want to be responsible for getting anyone sick so if they were going to let Walmart do it let it be on Walmart shoulders and Target shoulders, um, not mine. So right. I I also think that this thing, the whole thing came at every state and every governor so fast, especially those in the tri-state area. Right. This thing just barreled in, um, and I think that most people, Murphy, probably when they think of retail, they think of the Short Hills Mall. Mm -hmm. They think of corporate, they think of Pottery Barn, and they think of, you know, 
they think of the, the mass market of retail, that which makes up, I don't know what percentage, but certainly the percentage in most people's minds. What's unique and special about Asbury Park and other places is that we have um, a vibrant, super small business community, you know, there's, there's small business and there's people like Bianca doing, you know, sort of micro business, micro, you know, curated business. Um, and I just don't think it's on lawmakers and politicians minds that, that you can categorize retail and someone like Bianca could be in the same category as Walmart. I just, I, you know, it's, it's hard for them to understand and fathom that. We know that because we live in our little beautiful fishbowl, but I think retail for most people is, is big box stores. And, um, I, but again, this thing just came barreling down and they were trying to do as, as much as quickly, as safely as possible. Um, so, I mean, I just, just playing a little, you know, on the other side, I, I guess I can understand. And you, I think you can too, Amy. I mean, sometimes, you know, grasping all the information and, and making a decision and turning that into law or some executive order, it's not easy when you have what, 9 million people in a state, it's, it must be overwhelming. We had Kim Guadano on la our last podcast and a Republican ran against Murphy and she really talked about how people in the in her party are, are pushing on her to kind of criticize him and that she just feels like no, nobody knows how to handle the pandemic. I'm not going to criticize the guy, right? Like, yeah. all the right decisions? Clearly not, right? The, the, the assisted livings and the, and the old age homes and things like that. Like, clearly he didn't make all the right decisions. But, you know, sitting up here and me beating up either Murphy or, or whoever is like, I don't know that we made the right decisions. Maybe we should have shut down Friday night, right? And not Saturday night when everybody was out. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think you don't, you don't know, you're figuring it out. And if you're making decisions based, uh, you know, you're good hearted and you're trying to make the decisions that are in the best benefit of the people that you're serving, then, then, you're, you know, you're doing the best you can. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, it's clear they're groping in the dark with a lot of, they don't have all the information, right? So clearly Bianca's model is not on their, um, on their radar at all. Even when he closed the parks and when he reopened them, they hadn't thought about the restrooms until someone via social media pointed out to the governor is like, well, you could open the park, but the bathrooms are closed. So can you address that? And he was reactive. So I'm not going to give him a hundred percent pass, but at the same time as, 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 um, Kim said last week, what are you supposed to do? You know, because it's the first time they've done something. So it's, it's a bad situation, right? You want things to be, uh, you don't want people's businesses to be destroyed inadvertently. But as you, the one thing I was saying, uh, Costco and Walmart, those places never really did close down, right? No. I don't believe so. Yeah. And the rate of infection, I think the people suffering most were their employees, right? So it seems to me the data shows that if you're going into the store with a mask in and out, you're probably okay. But their employees who are getting exposed, like standing, like if a cashier standing by, well, hundreds of people come by, they were getting sick, right? So they're still trying to figure out how to make it safe for people to shop in this fashion. So. I think, so I keep, so I, I risk alienating people, but you know, a number of towns in California, specifically San Francisco, that shut down a week, if not 10 days before us, had a, you know, their death rate 
for lack of a better word, is much, much lower than New York. So I, I feel like I'm getting in these arguments with people about, um, on the one hand, defending Cuomo or Murphy in, in, in that, you know, we're all making the best decisions. But on the other hand, saying, you know, California did it a lot better than New York. Just just FYI. Anyway, I digress on that one. And I <laughs> set our seven listeners off by saying, can I talk about, can we talk a little bit about what reopening looks like, what the state of New Jersey has, if done anything to help you do that, and what people can do to help? Sure. Um, one thing I just want to talk about real quick is I was happy when they made that decision that said all non-essential businesses had to close because it took the onus off of me. I feel like maybe they, they didn't react quick enough. And I think maybe now they're not taking enough time. They're taking a little too much time to react. Um, it's, you know, you can't make up for your bad decisions what already happened by not making decisions now. So I think now when they should be reacting quicker to allowing things to reopen, they're using the approach that they should have used when they closed oh, us down. Interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, it's like now we're right, you know, like let us open, like now that you, you could see that we can socially distance as smaller businesses, let us reopen and stop with, um, taking so long. Like we, we still don't have any information. So anyway, um, in terms of reopening, we, what I would like to know as a business owner is, um, I know that it's a disease and people don't know exact dates of when things are going to, um, reopen, but we need to be given information to start preparing to reopen our business. Um, even, even like just a guideline, like in a month we'll be at phase two. I know there's these phases, but there's no dates to these phases as I know of yet. And um, the way that retail works is I am placing orders for next holiday now. Um, and they, they should have been in already. So there's a lot of thinking that I have to do pretty far out. So without knowing if I'll be able to be open it's really hard to do those buys because a lot of the suppliers are not in the U.S., so they're starting to reopen, so they want the orders to come in. So that's very challenging. So if any information could be given to us um, sooner um, or even an idea of what's happening, that would be helpful. And even in terms of hiring employees, like I don't know if I need to hire more salespeople because I, I don't know if my door is going to be open in a month or two. But if I knew that that was happening in a month, I could start hiring and training people for that. It's not just like it, everything didn't stay the same and we just have to unlock our doors and turn our lights on. That's not how this business works. There's more prep that goes into that. Um, but I also want to be able to get in on the audience when we are allowed to open. So I do want to just turn my lights on and let people in, but I need to know what that is looking like. Um, we are getting sanitation, like standing sanitation stations, hand sanitizer at the front door. And then um, when we are allowed to reopen, we'll have it at our cash wrap too. Everything is contactless now in terms of payment. Um, Shopify has upgraded their systems um, where you don't have to sign anymore. You just insert the card. Um, we 
Right now we're doing curbside, but when we are able to open, I'm going to require, as long as the CDC is saying that it is beneficial, to require everyone in the store to wear a mask, employees and customers. Um, I have a very small space as it is, so I would limit my amount of customers to two or three in the store at a time. Anything that gets tried on would have to be sanitized after with steam. Um, and I'm asking all my employees that if they, if they know that they are attending an event that is going to be um, with more than their core group of people, that they let us know in advance so that we can socially distance from them. Because right now, um, when there's two or three of us working in the store, we're not wearing masks. We're entrusting that we're all being um, responsible and not going outside of our little circle that we've been quarantining with. So I just ask them for a heads up and then I'll allow them to work from home if they are event attending an event or something um, that's larger. Um, wow. That's like so much thought has to go. <laughs> oh, there's, I mean, that's not even, yeah, there's, I just sent out an email today about um, everyone's required to have a mask. I have disposable masks here too for customers when we do reopen that if they don't come with a mask um i already caught some slack for saying to wear a mask for people like that were just at the door trying to pick up an order like almost like it it wearing a mask holds a political stance now and they don't want to be associated with that political that is the weirdest uh thing i had not anticipated coming out of this crisis the sort of the anti-mask uh yeah. As a stance. I went running yesterday for the first huge. time. Didn't, didn't Mitch McConnell just say, do something yesterday, but he, he was saying that you should wear a mask, but Trump is not wearing a mask, but he, they're on the same side of the. It's so bizarre. Yeah. I, I just rather be safe. So, and like, I don't want to get anyone sick, so I'm going to wear a mask. Like, I don't care who you're voting I, for. I want, I want my businesses to reopen, my friend's business to reopen. So I will, I will wear a mask if it helps you reopen your business. You know, the, there's a weird, like reopen everything now, but also don't wear a mask. I'm like, that seems counterproductive, right? You're going right. to end up speeding up. Or, I went running yesterday for, uh, around Asbury for the first time in like a month. And I was the only idiot with the mask. Like I was. You ran with the mask, so I'm. A yeah. Well, I when I'm near, no, I can't run with the mask. No, I hang on to it. So if I get near people, well, I, I hang flip on. it up. Yeah, you can put it here, but you can't actually run with it when people. No, I, well, I ran about a mile with it. Never it, run before. It it, 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 but it's, it's still like when I got near other people, I realized no one else was wearing them. Like so, I put mine on, then would run to the other side of the street, and I, I was thinking, what well, this seems strange, you know. But um, anyway, that I don't want to digress into like mask like, idea, but, but remember that game what was it frogger, <laughs> to, like, frogger. That, that's how i feel when i'm running i'm like shh, shh, shh. yeah <laughs> so we're also we're switching i'm trying to switch up our assortment a little bit so i i'm starting to carry items that are less size specific <laughs> because we're all getting fat during COVID. <laughs> Your very polite way of saying, hey, fatties, I'm going to have some clothes for you. Everything's going to be a caftan. I'm rebranding. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to just be caftans, Inc. Um, Bianca's tense. Yeah, you know, we, call, we call, all call it the COVID-20. No, not for that COVID reason. We put on 19 I'm, I'm doing it so it's easier to shop. So you don't okay. need to try things on. But, you know, like, I'm carrying less. Because they won't fit, Bianca. Well, that's it. <laughs> they won't fit. But 
you know, you're going to have to buy pants eventually. So you're going to need a larger size. I got to up my larger sizes, I guess. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of the same things that Bianca's doing. I'm upgrading my point of sale system right now. I'm going to handhelds. So my servers can do more at the table as far as uh, taking orders and sending them to the kitchen or the bar and taking credit cards, sometimes touchless. So I'm going through a whole uh, upgrade of my POS system, which is you know, you know a, a thing in of its uh, of its own. Um, I'm creating a department I've never had before. I'm going to take reservations, which I've never done before. I created Watermark as the perfect ideal place that didn't have a hostess and didn't seat people and didn't take reservations and didn't do VIP, didn't treat anyone special, didn't, you know, Watermark was always you walk in, you figure it out. And I, <laughs> I'm basically rewriting a new show right now. I am telling my staff um, that we are, we're taking our very successful Broadway show and we're going to rework it into a smaller off-Broadway show <laughs> and it's going to be more tailored. We're going to have new songs. We're going to have new choreography. Um, Hello, Scranton. <laughs> exactly so we're yeah we're taking watermark on the road um <laughs> but russell that what you're saying amy this is why i'm saying we need to know things in more right. advance because right. i feel like every week i'm opening a new business like right. oh that marketing didn't work okay we're switching it up savannah like i, I swear to god it's like a new business every week and russell when you reopen you're gonna see it too it's i know absolutely it is not over my friend it I no, and I, you know, I, I've been complaining for the past four years about all these people showing up at Watermark and my crowd control and, you know, and I'm, I'm still um, spending an enormous amount of time focusing on crowd control. To be completely honest with you, I don't deal with drinks, staffing, food, you know, all, all of that's taken care of. One of my main roles as the owner of Watermark is I spend an enormous number of hours thinking about and dealing with crowd control and it sucks. But now crowd control is going to be a completely different ball game. I'm going to have to take reservations. We're not going to let anyone up the stairs unless they have a reservation and I'm going to have a hostess and a maitre d' and I'm going to have a reservation system and I'm going to take people to their zoned out spot and I'm going to have to tell them these are the new rules. You can only go to the bathroom. You can't go to the bar. And I'm going to trust that my customers who've been coming to Watermark for 12 years now, especially over the last six years, who get, you know, pretty sauced and party their asses off, I'm going to be asking them to please sit down, please behave yourself and stay in your area. And I think if there's any indication of what happened on Cookman Avenue this past weekend, you put a drink in someone's hands, they don't follow the rules. They right. don't listen to you. So my main concern, it's never the quality of my food or the quality of my service or how my drinks taste or the beauty of the, you know, all of that stuff baked in easy. It's, I spend the majority of my time controlling or trying to control my customer base. <laughs> I, got, 
I have to bring up one point to that, Russell. And, and this weekend was a shit show. It was a total shit show that my phone blew up. But there, the, do, my phone did not blow up because Taka was over-serving or people were opening Taka's drinks. My phone wasn't blowing up because uh, Bonnie Reed was, you know, giving out jello shots. My phone was blowing up because Ale House was, right? Or, or we had bars making drinks outside the establishment and handing them, or they were in coffee cups that you could immediately drink. So, so it was a shit show, but it, but, and, and I put you in this category because I'm on the liquor license committee and I know who gets a number of complaints and I know who doesn't. Watermark's not one that does, right? So your years of crowd control has been successful. We don't require you to have a cop. We don't make you do any of the other things that we make some of the other bars do. And I think this weekend was such an example of it. I didn't get one call because of Taka. Not one. Not one person complained to me about Taka. Not one person complained to me about Bonnie Reed. Not one person complained to me about um, Brando's. Not one person complained to, you know, there was one main problem this weekend, and that that was that was why my phone was blowing up. A, a couple of smaller problems that might have been a communication issue or not fully understanding what curbside means, giving everybody the benefit of the doubt. But I feel like with Watermark, what you've done over the years and what you'll continue to do, you're not yeah, but it takes a very, very responsible owner. Thank you. I appreciate that. But it... I'm just telling you that it takes an enormous amount of time and effort and, and teamwork. Um, my, my, my door staff, my security team is, is certainly as vital and as important as my, my bar staff. And I think that's probably something that a lot of bar owners don't understand is you have to, you have to invest an enormous amount into your, your door staff and your security team because you've got to keep you, you got to filter everything at the door. You got to be really diligent about that. And we're still going to have to be diligent about that. Um, it's hard. It's hard running a, a bar and it's hard when the owner's not there or the person who's, whose name's on the liquor license and, and signs the payroll checks. Um, I find that I have to be at my front door many Friday and Saturday nights, certainly during the summer. I, I have to commandeer that that position. It's a really, really hard one. And you know, um, Asbury's become a party town. Um, and I, I, I really um, feel for all of the residents that live down in the, the central business district. You know, I, I see my customers leave. I'm fortunate that I don't have people living above Watermark. <laughs> They'd be calling and complaining if there were residents living above Watermark, I promise you. Um, especially living across the street from the Empress. Oh, you'd be getting calls, but we're fortunate to be in an, in an entertainment destination zone, and we don't have residents living around us. But it, it is, um, it's a concern for me um, moving forward into this, this new normal. So to tell you what I'm looking to do, I'm looking to return to Watermark 2008, which is the year that I opened, where I didn't have a DJ booth. I had door guys at the front, didn't have a security team. I, you know, I treated it much more like a hotel lobby bar where I had a couple of, you know, well-dressed guys down at the front. And if you have a reservation, they're going to let you in. If you don't, you're not going to be able to get in. And I see myself going down to hopefully outdoor service soon. Um, all indications are that Murphy's signaling that that's going to be something that's lifted in the next, well, we, we, we're kind of told from tomorrow 
through the next two weeks is when we expect him to lift all of that. So I am, like I know many of my colleagues are uh, other restaurant and bar owners, we're already starting to put things in place and move um, furniture aside. And we're, we're working under the sort of normal uh, um, guidelines that we believe are going to be adopted. Um, so we're already starting to sort of uh, restage things and re-choreograph and write new, new uh, blocking and choreography, as I keep saying, because I, th I think in theatrical terms, because as Bianca said, er everything at Watermark is very theatrical. I, r I run it like a theatrical show. Um, and we're learning new steps now. We're learning new songs and we're learning, you know, it's a whole new production. The good news is, is that I started out this way. I opened Watermark as uh, very much more a speakeasy than a nightclub. So I, I can remember those early days where, like I said, there was no dance floor, there was no DJ booth, there was no security team, and I wasn't overrun with customers. And it was a very laid back, chill, sexy, cool, mixology, speakeasy kind of vibe. And Luckily, fortunately, because of the amount of space that I have, I can spread my customers out and and hopefully survive in a more laid back sort of downshifted gear. And I'm, to be completely honest with you, as you know, my frustrations over the past couple of years and you, Bianca, sitting on the business committee uh, with me, um, I've been kind of tired of the nightclub seen late you know what happens to my business they thrash my business on friday and saturday nights yeah i make a lot of money my staff makes a lot of money we walk out of there you know beaten and battered with a lot of money in our pocket and yeah that justifies it but i'm you know i'm turning 55 next year and i'm i was i've been thinking for the past couple of years is this really what i want to do on my you know for my saturday nights do i really want to entertain three thousand people, which is about the number that comes through my doors on a summer Saturday when the stone pony is across the street. And that's another thing. I hope, I, I hope Caroline O'Toole doesn't listen to this because I love you, Caroline. I love you, Caroline, but I got to tell you, I am so looking forward to having a summer off from the summer stage. I got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so to your point though, and I don't know if it, it, any of you feel this way. So, you know, I would be at 17 meetings a week, right? Because that's, you know, you go, people want you at their events, want you hearing their ideas on how they can improve. And I have to say that one thing about this pandemic that for me has made it like, I don't need to go to 17 meetings a week. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to do that. You can either call me in, I can right. in, or I can be on a conference call or also we don't need 17 meetings. <laughs> we need anymore. There are, there are as many. Right. As much as we just both complained about everything, there are a lot of silver linings. And I, I'm not your age, Russell, but I'm getting up there and I'm tired. And I am looking <laughs> forward to the industry slowing down. They, they changed it. There's going to be two fashion shows a year instead of six. Um, they're going to be making less apparel, which means less waste. There is a, and you know what? You're going to buy less stuff. And that is what I wanted this business to do. Um, but people got caught up in fast fashion. So I'm excited about a lot of changes. I'm excited about people buying less and wasting less and going back to having one good code for a year or two instead of three or four or five inexpensive coats. So, and dealing with less people, getting to know each customer um, better and um, just 
make having more depth to the relationships with with everyone the vendors i work with and the customers so there is there is that silver lining i'm yeah i'm looking forward to that even though i do love the summer crowds and like you said it's what pays for the slower months i'm okay with it um yeah um, yeah, it's been, you know, Watermark's been intoxicating on more, on more levels than just the, you know, it's been very intoxicating for me and for everyone. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, there's a part of me that's very relieved that the, the brakes are being pumped on my business. Yeah. And I might be able to have that, co- that sexy, cool, chill cocktail lounge that I envisioned 12 years ago back. And I don't think it's just your business. I mean, Bianca's describing the same thing. I'm describing it from a government perspective. I mean, just across the board, um, slowing down. I I wouldn't have willingly done it, but having been forced to do it Mm -hmm. isn't a terrible thing. But listen, my son is home. So (laughs) three questions we have to ask you both because we ask everybody. I need both of your favorite movie. (laughs) <laughs> Again, this stumps everybody. Stumps everybody. It doesn't stump me. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite movie, Russell? Well, um, my favorite mo- my favorite movie as a child, the most classic historic movie, is a Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, of course. I um, loved but- <laughs> that movie when I was a kid. Yeah, I mean Chitty Chitty yeah. Bang Bang. Right. Um, but I. You know, the movie that I can watch over and over and over and over again, and I, I, it, I enjoy it every single time, so I guess I would consider that my favorite movie. I just think it's a masterclass, is Meryl Streep uh, in Postcards from the Edge. Um, oh, I have to rewatch that. Carrie Fisher and Shirley MacLaine and... Uh, yeah, I can just I can if I'm if I'm grumpy or sick or I just want to sit there, I'll put that movie on and it is the that's the most uh, soul food I can consume through my eyes. So I, I'd have to say postcards from the edge. Bianca, oh my gosh, this is tough. I'm gonna say um, guilty pleasure movie like Bad Mood, and I just need to get in a good mood. Would be Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Huh. And then um, a movie that I can watch over and over again. It's newer, but uh, not newer, but uh, not like an old classic or anything. Is The Departed? Huh. I like that movie too. That's a yeah. That's the first All time right. someone's mentioned Departed. That's it a, is the first time, and also Postcards from the Edge. It's the first one in the yeah. year that we've been doing this podcast. You 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 both have said ones that have not been said before. Favorite books? Oh gosh. <laughs> I'm going to go with the one I'm still reading. I've been, I have, I have, um, I don't have Corona, but I feel like my brain might have Corona. Um, so I've been reading the same book for since Corona started or maybe before I can't finish it, but it's called cunt and Amy, you would really like it. Okay. Done. I will read that. Uh-huh. Once I have the ability to read because I don't have the ability to read right now. Yeah. yeah. Russell, do you have a book? Um, probably the Holy Bible. Like the literal? Holy no, God. I'm kidding. No, I'm, I'm making. I'm making a joke. I'm making a joke. I'm making a joke. <laughs> so I will tell you, somebody did say that book, and it was Pastor Van Zandt. Well, Pastor Van sure Zandt. His favorite book. We should have known in advance. No, I've, that's that's actually a little shout out and a little dig to my father, who um, 
sent me some article. He was talking to the press and he lives in the Bible Belt. And they asked him the same question and what was his favorite book? And my father answered, he answered the, Holy, the Holy Bible. And it just made me laugh out loud because of course I know that's not my father's favorite book at all. Um, <laughs> but I just thought I would just do a little homage to my father since I feel like I'm talking to the press and say the Holy Bible, which is just full of shit. My, oh gosh, that, see, that's much harder for me. Um, you know, I, I've, I've referenced this before and I referenced this on the last, um, zoom call that I had with Bianca, but, um, you know, the, the Daniel Wolf, um, 4th of July is a really, 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 really good read. And I, I don't know if it's my favorite book, but it, it certainly opened my eyes and taught me a lot and gave me a point of reference for Asbury Park that I have found extremely valuable. And I think about that book and I reference that book and just, I, I tend to go back and mind things from that book. And I just, I, I, that book made me, it, I don't know if it made me fall in love with Asbury Park, but it made me fall in love more deeply with Asbury Park. And it gave me some historical connection. And I, uh, it just really affected me. So for the purposes of this conversation, I'm going to say Daniel Worf's um, 4th of July. Amy, you should start it. We should start an Asbury Pod reading uh, book club. We should. Those will be the first two books on there. Although I have no ability to read. I'm in a book club. I've been in the words book club for like 15 years, but I have no ability to read right now. And both currently watching. Um, I just, I'm still my brilliant friend. What was that on Netflix? Um, it is on HBO. It okay. takes place in us um, in Naples, Italy. Um, okay. Great. It's based on a book, um, so you don't have to read, but you can watch the show. I'll put it on my list. It's great. <laughs> um, you said TV show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're watching a couple right now. A couple of series. We're watching um, Dark, which is a German uh, production, a really, really beautiful production, um, and I. I think that's on Netflix. And then we're, oh no, now I'm forgetting. We're watching something about witches that's also really, really good. Um, Do you know? Uh, Motherland? Heather's asking. Me. No, it has witches in the title. Uh, uh, see, Andrew holds, Andrew controls and holds the, the remote and I just sit there and watch. So it's, the, it's the, the coven of witches or something of witches. Anyway, it's also really good. Okay, good. All right, I'm shutting this down because Jeffrey's texting me. I'm outside the door. Well, I'd like to thank our guests today. I mean, really. Um, I would love to thank our guests today. And wish everyone the best of luck with as we reopen and hopefully. Um, and I want to thank Ming from Shared Universe. And thank you guys so much for spending time tonight and kind of taking us through. It was very generous of you. Complicated you nature of what's happening now and how you plan on reopening, which I think you both are so thoughtful about that. Can I plug the one thing that we're doing to help the downtown businesses? You should, you should both plug away. Plug away. Um, we started a little campaign where it's a stupid, silly video with all the small business owners. A lot of small businesses. It's not a stupid, silly video. It was adorable. It's fantastic. Well, I mean, but it's meant to, it's, you know, it's, it shows the, the side of business owners that you probably don't get a chance to see, the silly side of us. And it's quirky and it's great. And we're dancing to Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark and we're passing a light bulb to one another. And um, you could go to turnmeonap.com and you could donate and all of the proceeds are going to be 
um, divided between the businesses that participated in the video um, part of this campaign. So and give us the website one more time. Sure. Turnmeonap.com. Great. Um, I'll. I tried to do my video twice for I know, that, you did. And, I know. and I I failed miserably. Your standards were too high. You you I, just we were I failed angry. miserably. I failed miserably, <laughs> and I haven't apologized. I haven't even acknowledged it to Bianca, to be honest with you. But I, 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 I knew been your intentions. I've been I've been too embarrassed. I've been too embarrassed. But yeah, I I not wouldn't. Not uh, yeah, it was not for public consumption. Um, the the. Um, what I would like to plug and something that I've been involved with uh, from the, uh, from the beginning is the Asbury Park dinner table. I don't need to plug Watermark. I get enough attention and I know that my customer base is going to come back. But um, Kathy Kelly, what Kathy Kelly did in four days, she came up with an idea. She figured out how to make it work. She found the people, she found the resources, and she put this amazing project together that kept restaurants making food and then feeding the food insecure people in Asbury Park, many of which were most likely going to become maybe, you know, the, the restaurant industry and, you know, a lot of unusual sus suspects is what we called them. Of course, we always know, especially in Asbury, there's a lot of, there's a lot of food insecurity here. So that need is always here. But we, uh, what Kathy was able to do brilliantly is to see not only one problem, but two problems, put it together and create this amazing business plan, launch it, figure out how to do it. And it just exploded. And I think we've, uh, at this point we've raised, I don't know how much money and served over a hundred thousand, over a hundred thousand. It's exploded. So the Asbury park dinner table, and I just got to say, you know, I, I've, um, I've gained such an, uh, a respect for Kath, Kathy Kelly, because of this, I just think she is, she is such a bad, she's a badass. She is a badass. You give that girl something to do and she, you know, she just, she just hit this one out of the park. And Although she place. also sends me text messages all weekend long about who's violating the executive orders. Well, you know what? She's a badass on a lot of, on a lot of levels, but I, you have to give it to her. For I have a few from her waiting. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's like seven in my phone right now on who violating executive order in the downtown she is our sheriff number one she is our <laughs> yeah because i get tons of text messages and i should acknowledge that bianca and kathy kelly are the chairs of the esbury park business committee they are because i got i gotta shut down all right shut all down right. thank you very much everyone thanks thanks everybody really appreciate it thanks on